So hello, I'm Ingram Wright. Hi, I'm Kleena Carroll. And this week, I, well, I've got a bonus for you, Kleena, because you've come on board as my co-host. Okay, so this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Ryan Van Patten and John Ballone about their NAV Neuro podcast, which is an excellent podcast. Ryan and John are both based in North America, and I had the um, good fortune to bump into them while at a conference in San Diego. You don't want to say anything. I don't okay. well, I don't think there's any need, there is there? There wasn't really anything to say, mm. though, was there? Yeah. What do you think, Lena? Yeah, I think that's fine. So I'm delighted to be here with um, John Ballone and Ryan Van Patten in sunny, it is sunny, in sunny San Diego in your <laughs> lovely Airbnb on the periphery of the conference. Um, and we've been planning to have this conversation for a while. So this is a meeting of, of, of two, two podcasts in, in neuropsychology. So welcome to the Neuro Clinic. Thank you. Thanks. Nice to be here. So we usually start, uh, and it's been a while for me, so I've had a sort of lapse in podcast production. Um, but we usually start with asking you to introduce yourself. Do, do you want to go first, John? Tell sure. us who you are. Yeah. Yeah. So um, professionally, I'm, I'm a clinical neuropsychologist, board certified, and uh, I work in a rehab um, institute. I see people post-stroke and traumatic brain injury um, most uh, most commonly. And then uh, I also have an outpatient neuropsych um, practice where I do more traditional evaluations, mainly of older adults with memory-related complaints, although I do see a spectrum, the whole spectrum of, of adults with different neurocognitive issues. Yeah, and then I can thank talk you. personally or whatever else you want to know about. So we might stuff. we might come we might come back to that. <laughs> sure, but thank sure, you, sure. thank you, John. Ryan, what about you? Sure. <clears throat> so I'm a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist at the Providence VA, Providence, Rhode Island. Also assistant professor at Brown University. So within that role, I do clinical work. I see patients at the VA. Very diverse group of U.S. veterans coming in for neuropsychological evaluations. I also do research grant writing, writing papers, um, and teaching, supervision, mentorship in both clinical work and research. Uh, and then things like podcasting. John, of course, does podcasting as well. Um, I serve on committees locally and nationally in neuropsychology. So professional development, also very interesting. That's part of my role. So Ryan, we recently met the Minnesota conference, didn't we? Yep. Houston 2, as it was called. Yeah. I think it got rebranded somewhere along the way, but it was... It's good to meet you face to face. And John, we haven't met before, but we're, yeah. I suppose, lucky to be here in the sun at a yeah. conference, having yeah. a face to face conversation. Yeah, definitely. You, you, um, you are both the uh, uh, leaders of the Nav Neuro <laughs> po- podcast. Is that is that how do you yeah. authors? Producers. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're a one sh- one stop shop for uh, Nav Neuro. Um. So, so how d- how did it get started? Yeah. So, right. We, we are the creators and co-hosts and, uh, I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship at the Brown, uh, at Brown university at the Providence VA, uh, was where I had most of my clinical responsibilities. Ryan at that time was an intern there at the Providence VA. And, um, we had been in a meeting where our supervisor, uh, played a podcast episode, a neurology podcast episode. And we talked about it. Ryan made a comment, uh, after the meeting, like, why, why does neuropsych have a podcast? It'd be really yeah. cool to do this with neuropsych specific topics. 
And um, it just so happened, I had been thinking about the idea of a podcast for a while. And we had um, an appointment just to get a beer that night or the next night. It was, it was that later, week. Yeah. And I floated that to him, uh, the idea of what, like, why don't we just start a podcast? You made this comment. I've been thinking about it. I think we could do it. Yeah. It was a little scary because we didn't know each other that well. I was skeptical at the time, not knowing John, who is this guy who wants to start a podcast with me. Uh, you know, Maybe he wants me to do all the work and take all the credit. <laughs> it didn't, didn't end up being the case. I hadn't understood that. You didn't know each other before. Not well. We were both at Brown. I was an intern, you know, the Brown Consortium training yeah. program. Like John said, I was an intern. He was a fellow. We had met a few times, yeah. but didn't know each other well. I had just rotated to the Providence VA recently. So John was a fellow. I was an intern. We were seeing a few cases together. Yeah. Um, but just didn't know each other very well. And this sort of forced us to, yeah. to get to know each other. Yeah. So presumably you both thought it was a good idea at the time. Yeah. yeah. It was sort of a pain point. Sometimes you know, entrepreneurs refer to things as a pain point where there's like a service or a product that you want for yourself um, and it doesn't exist. Uh, and so I was a big podcast listener. I know Ryan was too. And um, I was looking for everything as as close to neuropsych as I could find. And I, there were lots of neuroscience podcasts, a lot of general science podcasts, psychology podcasts, but not a neuropsych-specific podcast, which I felt was lacking in the field. Yeah. Were there specific podcasts? John, John, you talk about consuming podcasts, being interested in podcasting as a format. Were there specific examples of podcasts you wanted to emulate or were particularly inspired by or yeah we both have our favorites and it's overlapping quite a bit i listen to radio lab from like the beginning of podcasts yeah um and they were also always a good model of just a science journalistic kind of yeah. um, podcast and then i got into the brain science podcast ginger campbell um she started pretty early on and then just kind of grew from there. There's like um, different psychology specific ones. Uh, do you have your favorite? Medicine, story? JAMA, JAMA. Um, has podcasts, Neurology has podcasts. So there's those are more strictly produced by a professional organization or body in medicine or psychology. APA has a podcast now. Uh, there are those. And then there are a lot of philosophy podcasts that get into a lot of scientific topics that John and I are very interested in. So I think we were both influenced by a lot of those. I have to say, I had had conversations with friends throughout grad school about starting a neuropsych podcast, um, but I had never felt comfortable in a partnership with somebody where I felt like it would be 50-50 yeah. and that we would work really well together, knowing that in order for this to work, we would have to be really good teammates and sharing the load and spending a lot of time together. It's like a, it's like a mini startup company yeah. to some extent, you know, you're creating this product from, from out of nothing. Um, so I had never felt comfortable taking the dive. Um, but I was impressed by John, your, uh, just sort of enthusiasm in coming out with it and posing it. And so we, we sort of, we didn't commit fully that night. We started looking into it and taking baby steps and moving forward from there. And yeah, yeah. It did take months for us to actually launch and record and everything. Sure. There was a lot that went into the front end of the equipment and post-production, all that stuff. None, none of, neither of us have any background in audio tech. so yeah, I can tell you the timeline. For some reason, I remember that beer we got was in April right. of that year, 20, uh, 2018. 2018 and, and we released September. our first episode September 1st. So that is, that's the time window between the, yeah. the Genesis and that fateful beer and yeah. September 1st releasing our first episode. Yeah. The strength of the partnership really like can't be 
uh, exaggerated though. Like it's it's so such an important component, and we like we said we didn't know each other that well. Yeah. Uh, we were more acquaintances, but it turned out we had way more in common than we would have imagined. Uh, just love of philosophy and astronomy and all these different areas uh, aside from neuropsychology. So, so really a beautiful friendship blossom. Well, that was, <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about whether, oh I guess you have to negotiate a way forward, right? That's part of, of, of what you do in setting, setting out in this kind of way. And um, I suppose starting from a point where you've got an established friendship feels a little bit more secure, but you've had to feel your way a little bit. Yeah. But you're here and you've got a successful podcast uh, behind you and in front of you. Were there any um, particular challenges along the way? I mean, how has how has Nav Neuro evolved over time? Has it stayed true to the vision that you started out with, or has have there been bumps in the road? Mm. Some bumps in the road for sure, but nothing that we couldn't couldn't overcome. I think it has definitely stayed true to our vision. Our vision being the key core of Nav Neuro is high quality evidence based education available for free yep. to anyone with a smartphone and internet or anyone with an internet connection really yeah um and i think we we are still there so um we can talk about challenges uh, along the way we started out just two friends two two people creating a, a podcast obviously the the startup um there's a lot of work to do and we didn't know what we were doing. John has taken the lead as we'll talk about, I'm sure on, on the tech side, which is a lot to learn. Whereas I've taken the lead on like literature reviews and contacting guests. Um, so I, I credit John for like learning all of the, the tech side. Uh, what was that yeah, like? That was the bumpiest process. I think the bumpiest part of the process was early on, not knowing, are we going to be able to do good audio? The audio quality is really important on a podcast, yeah. as you know. Um, I've been impressed with you, with um, the NeuroClinics audio, and then all the post production, and you, it has to these audio uh, files have to live somewhere. You have to have a media host, and you know it's important to have a website too, um, so you can put some resources there. So each of these components had a, a heavy lift initially to to learn how to do them and do them on a budget. We didn't have any funds. This was all self funded, so. Um, that that was, I think, the bumpiest part of this process. It's been pretty smooth sailing since then. Yeah. Um, we it, it took us a while to get the INS partnership. That was really important to us. So um, how did that come about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that came to mind for me also as you might call it a bump or a challenge. So for a while, I don't recall exactly how long, over a year, this was just the John and Ryan podcast. There yeah. was no affiliation. We feel very strongly that we do not want paid ads and and sponsorship from like industry for this because I think then we could start to be influenced by people who are funding us if they have certain agendas and we want this to be as pure as possible in terms of the educational quality but we also have a lot of respect for neuropsych organizations and so we had talked about partnering with one of the neuropsych organizations there are many good ones ins was at the top of our list um, the global reach of ins is impressive just the the overall um, membership focus on science and education was great so we we started working on reaching out to people in leadership at ins and there was just there was a lot of negotiation around what a partnership would look like and we were hoping to get some funding from ins and so like what what would that look like understandably they didn't know who 
we were or what the quality of this product was. So of course they wanted to vet us and find out what we were doing and if it was good and worth their while. So that was a long process, um, big credit and kudos to Mark Norman, um, INS executive director. We've worked a lot with him on this process and now we have a really smooth and um, good partnership. We we would not have the partnership without Mark. So, yeah. So would it have been possible to continue without, without that affiliation? Sure. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, well, the core of NavNeuro is the tasks we do and the, the content we release. Um, and so INS provides some funding for us for our time and effort, which we're very appreciative for. There's also the biggest component of the partnership is that we offer NavNeuro episodes for CE credits, which is through INS and yep. APA, American Psychological Association. So that wouldn't be possible without INS huge component of NavNeuro, but we could still release the content the same way we do without a partnership. So I guess podcasts, as, you, as you'd already um, realized, they had a place in your life before you came together and, and, and developed Nav, NavNeuro. And I, I guess they've also been, I mean, the reality has been that the landscape around conferences, um, access to professional development opportunities has been transformed, at least in terms of our understanding over the last two or three years. Do you, do you think, has that been part of NavNeuro's evolution? Has, has the sort of experience with COVID and the pandemic changed the way that NavNeuro finds, has found a place? Yeah, I don't know if it's changed us too much. We were, um, we were digital, obviously, before COVID, so yeah. people could listen to us wherever. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it turned out that it was it was good though that we were fully digital because then in the pandemic people could still listen to us yep. um so that in that aspect i think it was important i think the pandemic has helped podcasts in general and nafner in particular because people are more mm-hmm. interested and ready for remote digital education we were all forced to do that to some degree zoom video conferencing all that podcasts webinars are a way to remain physically distant and you know safe from a pandemic and still get education so there's like that that boost i think that came from the pandemic um but in terms of what we do it has unfortunately prevented us from doing what we're doing with you ingram right (laughs) now i'm thrilled that we're here in person it's great i like being physically present with um, people I'm talking to. Um, we haven't been able to do that nearly as much as we would like to for over the past three years. Early on in Avnero, we would sometimes get together in person with our guests whenever we could at conferences at INS. In the past, we recorded in person or whenever there, the geography didn't prevent us from being with people, we would go to them and record. Yeah, I want to highlight what Ryan said about how, it, if, if anything, I think the pandemic made people more um, uh, more aware of this platform, the, just how important the digital platform is. Um, and, and not only because you don't have to be physically present, but there are so many other aspects of it, but maybe we'll get into it later, that are um, beneficial. You can rewind, re-listen, you know, you can pause and take notes. Um, you can slow it down, you can speed it up, right? You can put closed captioning on it. I mean, there, there's so many possibilities. It opens it up to so many more people um, and really aids in the encoding process in many ways. We have transcripts from almost all of our episodes now, <clears throat> yeah. which helps. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think it, it, it just helped people. This, this was a trend that was growing and would have gotten more and more popular, I'm convinced. Just um, podcasts and different types of learning platforms, remote learning. But I think the pandemic just accelerated uh, what was already in process. I have the sense to, I haven't had the pulse of podcasts from their you know origin to now perfectly, but I have the sense that early podcasts were more podcasts are heterogeneous, right? Some are based on history or comedy, uh, storytelling, that's all great. But I think more in the past recent past few years, um, there's been more of an appreciation that podcasts can be formal educational content, like all these professional organizations in science and medicine and psychology and other professions are producing podcasts that are legitimate, that can be CE credits, that can be real learning. It's not just entertainment entertainment's fine but i think there's an appreciation for the science aspect of podcasts too so it's you were you were beginning to before i closed you off at the start john to sort of thinking about who you are as people and what's i mean you you your podcast is clearly a vehicle for encouraging people to take an interest in neuropsychology and that's been something that um struck me about my experience with the neuroclinic is just how much interest there is outside of the established network of professional neuropsychologists, right? There were lots of graduates who were interested in lots of branches of psychology and might stumble across content related to neuropsychology and be inspired and, and interested in it or interested, develop an interest in neuropsychology through exposure to a podcast. Has that been something that you've particularly been aware of? Um, being aware of people outside of the Being drawn canon. into an interest in neuropsychology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were aware of a lot of early trainees who yep. listen to NavNeuro a lot, yep. who I think we usually hear from people who are either considering pursuing careers in neuropsychology or have just started. Yep. Um, to your point, though, I think neuropsychology, brain behavior, relationships, you know, neuroscience, those things should not be only for people who are formally studying yep. neuropsychology in a program um it is relevant to every single person who has a brain uh which is all of us right so um i I like the idea of our our content being accessible as much as possible to everyone who's interested yeah and although our our main um content is directed at neuropsychologists from trainees up to professionals um, from our download numbers it's clear that there are more people than just neuro- neuropsychologists who are listening I, I was going to ask about yeah. your numbers do you have I haven't asked you to prepare <laughs> this I would have had the numbers you from 10 minutes ago if John would have only you'd known. <laughs> but, do you know what what your numbers look like I and mean, it's hard yeah. to kind of work out what those numbers mean sometimes but do you keep an eye on the numbers yeah yeah we do ryan checks like every day (laughs) (laughs) it's not an obsession i promise um i I can share a few numbers i'm I'm happy to so we fairly recently in the past few months um crossed over the five hundred thousand unique downloads barrier which for for our relatively small podcast compared to some um that was a you know big accomplishment so five hundred thousand unique downloads since the inception of naf neuro over time and we watch trends and we're grateful that the trend is upward in terms of like downloads per month so this past we're recording in early february here at ins as you mentioned ingram um, and looking at the January 2023 numbers, that uh, was the our highest download number of all time. So it's fairly common that, you know, it's not uncommon for a particular month to be 
the record for the most yeah. downloads. So we were at a little over 24,000 downloads in January. Um, yeah, we have 112 episodes out now. And if we look at the average, it's about 5,000 downloads per episode. Obviously, some are more um, popular than others. Um, going off of your question a minute ago, too, the ones that are most popular, uh, many of them are ones that are also for a general population. Like, um, I think the most downloaded episode is neuropsychology for non-neuropsychologists yeah so i do think that it's uh, it is a field that people are interested in even if they aren't in the field yet so in terms of the numbers you you've talked about downloads as being one of the metrics that you keep an eye on um i suppose some of the, the, the i mean you you're you're sort of slightly uh, vulnerable to whatever your platform pushes you in terms of the stats um in terms of that international perspective, do you have a sense of, of where people are listening from? Yeah. So our, our media um, uh, platform, media host, I should say, um, Lipson, um, Liberated Syndication, they uh, do break down the stats by country of download. Yeah. And so not surprisingly, the vast majority are from the United States. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is only um, about... I forgot, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think we are um, about two, two-thirds. Is it two-thirds from the U.S. or, or one-third U.S.? Okay. I think two-thirds, U.S. or North America. Yeah, and then um, obviously the English-speaking countries, U.K., yeah. um, Australia, um, Canada, are, are the subsequent three largest uh, download countries. But we have like over 100 countries with... 10 plus downloads so uh it, it is it is internationally listened to we've received emails uh, on our website there's a, a, a option to contact us and we've received emails from people looking to study neuropsychology all over the world and unfortunately we can't help them very much we want to and try to you know steer them in the direction of resources that might be helpful but i just have no knowledge of what the specific structure looks like pursuing neuropsychology in India yeah. or Brazil. Um, so yeah. we, we have done our best to steer them in the right direction. But that has shown us that there are some people, as John mentioned, with the download numbers listening to NavNeuro and showing interest in neuropsychology globally. Do, yeah. do you remember, so one of the things that I've talked about with many of the guests on the NeuroClinic is what got you first interested? I mean, do you remember when you first took an interest in neuropsychology, John? Yeah, I do. Our stories are very similar. So are I'm they? Gonna, okay. I'm going to scoop Who's going to go first? <laughs> go ahead, as usual. Well, I was very interested in philosophy, even starting in high school. thought I might be a philosophy professor, um, but uh, was con concerned about making a living, as many people <laughs> are. Uh, but then I, I uh, was in college. I took a biopsychology class, and the professor mixed the concepts of neuroscience with philosophy really well talking about um, the concept of free will and these mental maps that we have and i um, just really loved the interconnection between neuroscience and philosophy uh, i also liked just being with people helping people one-on-one -on -one. I know it's a cliche, but I think to be a psychologist, you have to just yeah. like helping people and meeting, you know, being sitting down with somebody. And so neuropsychology, as I grew to learn eventually, that was a whole other 
story of how you know I got into that. But I thought it was just the perfect mix of those three: yeah. um, psychology, neuroscience, or excuse me, philosophy, neuroscience, and helping profession. I also like how we can spend just so much time getting to know somebody. It's not just the medical model of fifteen minutes. Here's a prescription. You know. Um, best of luck to you yeah i really like how we can dive in there we could do both assessment and intervention there just seemed like there were so many uh, options available what about you ryan yep so the the quick story the most um recent sort of antecedent of me pursuing neuropsychology was i was in college james madison university in virginia and i was psychology major pursuing pre-med thinking about going into neurology having a strong interest in neuroscience the brain personality behavior how it all works i I didn't know neuropsychology existed at the time i was a junior in college Um, i was in a biopsychology course um, and the professor i'd love to give a shout out um, dr jeff dyke at james madison university in this biopsychology course he took 10-15 10-15 minutes to talk about careers, um, or a little bit more than that, but a few minutes to talk about neuropsychology as a career within neuroscience, within biopsychology. Um, he, he mentioned neuropsychology, what it is, and it sort of like John uh, said for himself, it was sort of this perfect blend and meld of different interests. Um, I wasn't 100% on board with going to medical school because I really wanted the behavior component to be really central, um, but... I also didn't see myself as a psychotherapist for my entire career, um, just given my interests. So learning that this field existed was um, eye-opening and a big big epiphany to me. And so from there, I uh, pursued it 100% and haven't looked back. It's great to hear your stories. I mean, one of the things I've I've certainly noticed, it's uh, someone who produces podcasts pulls them together we have very different uh, approaches but one of the things that struck me about your approach is that you there's a lot of work that goes into preparing for a conversation with a with a guest you you really know your stuff by the time you you get to that conversation there's a lot of work involved in doing that and it, it strikes me that you're obviously very interested in the material that you're discussing trying to make sense of it I mean can you talk about that that process that leads to a conversation. Let me just uh, defer to Ryan because <laughs> he he deserves the credit for okay. for making me look good here too. <laughs> um, we have a we have a good division of labor, I think. But Ryan takes the lead on preparing for episodes and um, really dives in, does a lit review on each topic, and. Um, just finds papers. He sends me a, a literature review, like breakdown of these hundreds, hundred papers that he's read, <laughs> yeah. and um, you know everything that the guest has published. He, <laughs> he 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 has looked at. So this is really uh, he deserves the credit for for this. Yeah. yeah thanks. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. Um, so this goes to your last question, Ingram. Too, I think something that. John and I share, really the three of us share, is deep curiosity, intellectual curiosity about neuropsychology, how people work, and our interests aren't only in neuropsychology. There's much more in science and philosophy and yeah. medicine and other fields that's deeply interesting. But having that curiosity, I think I'm very grateful to have it because it makes the process of learning and discovery and reading it doesn't feel like a chore it it feels like something that i'm excited for so we it's it's a blast to 
brainstorm like what topics haven't we covered what guests would we like to have on um what new niche would we like to really highlight and expand on in the podcast and then i i look forward to mornings evenings weekends <laughs> i'm such a nerd <laughs> when um you know to like pull together li uh, literature and read it and summarize it and it helps me in my profession and in my you know daily practice and i also just find it rewarding to learn about somebody's area what they have studied all that they have put out there so um that that makes the preparation process easy and fun and it's it's um I mean, the way you describe it, and, and certainly listening to your podcast, it feels like a very smooth operation. Um, but I guess when we were talking just before we had this conversation about things don't always go according to plan, do they? Whether it's a, the, the audio side of things or, or, or whether it's a, a guest who has a slightly different interpretation of, of what they're doing. How, how do you manage that side of things? Yeah, good questions. We've had a few audio or tech issues along the way. Um, audio dropping or there being like a high-pitched buzz during a recording that's happened a few times there was a, an alarm that went off when we oh, were yeah, with, with dean, dean dallas, dallas yeah yeah we were we were in we were at uc san diego we had gone to his talk and then we were sitting down with him in an empty room like no one else in the building as far as i could tell yeah. in uh, like a fire alarm or something. I was able alarm. to edit it out of the audio though. Yeah. So we have, you know, we have ways of <laughs> post-production dealing methods with. for dealing with yeah. that. I also think the systems are important. Like Ryan and I always um, have a backup of the audio when we're, we're, you know, now since COVID, since Ryan moved to the East coast, you know, we're East coast, West coast. So um, we record these remotely, obviously. And so he records on his end, both his audio and the guest and my audio. And then I record all three audios as well so we always have a backup so. and we're so one of the impressive things that obviously nobody listening to this will be able to tell but we've got some impressive t technology sitting <laughs> sitting between one of the strange things for me is i did start the neuroclinic podcast during the pandemic and all the conversations were via zoom and actually what struck me today is i, f I feel far more comfortable on a zoom <laughs> conversation than i mean you you're very friendly chaps but um but it's Thanks. but it's um it's it's different being face to face, right? So I think one of the things that we've, I, I suppose I was thinking towards the end of our conversation today, just thinking about the interface between what we're experiencing when listening to podcasts and what we might experience when we're at a conference. So we're here at the INS and um, it is great to be here face to face. Well, we were just talking about that sort of tension between getting together socially, being in person, able to meet people, have informal conversations. I mean, my feeling is that certainly the neuro clinic was filling a gap for me in that there weren't any of those conversations going on in the midst of a pandemic. All the learning that we did experience was very formal, slides being shared on Zoom calls or Teams calls, um, and there was very little informality wrapped around that. I mean, how 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 have you found, how are you finding the the return to a more conventional conference experience? Is it the same or are you looking at that through a different lens now? Yeah, I've loved it. Yeah, yeah. same. Um, I've missed it. INS and other in-person conferences, you know, the past few years, not yeah. not being around colleagues in person. Um, something I've uh, struggled with a bit is meetings virtually. Um, the 
the nonverbals and social dynamics are just different. You know, if there are 10 faces on the screen versus if I'm with 10 colleagues in person or even this conversation right now, it's uh, definitely different and grim. And it, I think we might be out of practice of it because <laughs> we've done so much Zoom interviewing. Um, so it might it might not feel as comfortable, but I, I prefer it ultimately, um, especially when there is a social component. If I'm just meeting with you or the two of you and there's like a agenda and it's sort of straightforward i'm presenting then it's less of an issue but if i want to have like a spontaneous conversation and get to know somebody all the body language and ability to walk off and grab a beer together go for a walk together i've really missed all that yeah as much as ryan and i both really like digital media and and think it's it's going to continue to be a huge aspect of academia Mm -hmm. and our field in the future there is just something that you cannot replicate about being in person and it's the social aspect of it um and i I love the how at the conference just i mean yesterday the first first day of the conference walking into so much just running into so many people um and there's there is a quality to it that is just not replicable unfortunately through zoom but we, but we, we still face a challenge, don't we, about how we how we find the balance. We've embraced technology and digital media. We know that there is potential to avoid long haul flights to places, and we can dial into conferences, hybrid meetings on on Zoom. I guess most of us recognise there's still a place for face to face meetings, but we've not quite found a format that gets that right balance. We were talking before about. How strange it is, certainly for me, being on an 11-hour flight and then going into an auditorium where I could be in the centre of London or Bristol or wherever, uh, looking at PowerPoint slides. It's not why I've come here. I mean, the reason we're here is presumably to connect with people in ways that we couldn't do in any other way. And and trying to have a conference programme where there is a degree of formality and intellectual scientific rigour but yet opportunities to socialize and have informal conversations. It's quite a difficult balance to strike. Yeah. yeah. We, John and I, have written a paper and um, given talks a few times on this topic, Digital Methods of Education. Um, John, you're yeah. welcome to take, take the lead, like sort of explain what we're thinking in terms of how to balance those things. Yeah. I, I was, before I address that, I, I was thinking, you know, the, what, really what we'll need to do is use the strengths of the different platforms uh, fully so there are strengths that the digital platform has and there are strengths that the in-person platform you know has and um, I think right now we are inefficient in like you alluded to you know you had to fly from the UK to San Diego you don't want to sit in a lecture that's like that's not why you flew here you could have done that yeah. on the computer that's a strength of the digital platform is that yeah. you could have watched that lecture in the UK and gotten as much of much out of it as if you were sitting in the auditorium yeah. in San Diego but the strength of being here is that after that lecture is over you can walk in person you can walk over to Ryan and yeah. shake his hand yeah. and have a conversation whereas you would not have done that on Zoom so i, I think the ideal merger of these is going to be to use their strengths and we can talk about how to do that best next if that's in yeah how, how interesting yeah um i think you're getting you into have, the you're sort of this going, leads us to the paper perfectly a bit. yeah so we have 
approach this in terms of training models and neuropsychology. It yeah. applies more broadly in education, including conferences. I think there there is a way to take advantage of the strengths of the two approaches, yeah. as John is mentioning. In Ingram, we were having a conversation earlier today, yeah. and you mentioned a really good yeah. idea for this at conferences. The, the general thought that comes to me is a, related to this t uh, concept of flipped learning yeah. that is sometimes used in, in schools and universities where the time spent outside of class or outside of the conference, you know, on your own, that time is spent learning core foundational content digitally, podcasts, webinars, I can get a foundation about X topic on my own while I'm working out, listening to a podcast or sitting in my pajamas on my couch, watching a webinar. Um, and then I'm primed and I've gotten through the foundations. And then when I come together with people, I would rather not be sitting there sort of stiff staring at a screen the whole time. I would rather be interacting with them and discussing the content and sharing and learning. I think active learning in that respect is so much more enjoyable. People like it and they retain stuff if they're not passive the whole time. So Ingram, your idea was sort of applying that to conferences. And I think that's a great idea. But there's also something about listening to a um, something which is being broadcast live, isn't there? So um, I'm uh, somewhat older than you two. And I, I so I remember television when it was everything was being broadcast somehow so the whole nation would be watching the same saturday night television and it's not like that anymore right so the i guess the other challenge is and we i think we've all experienced this with um i've signed up to far more uh, events and you maybe feel more constrained by your ce system but it's often a struggle to attend um to pay attention to uh, or to consume the recordings that are available because there's such a vast library, isn't there, out there? And um, one of the advantages in the past of being at a conference is that you're somewhat constrained by the walls of the auditorium and you will leave having learnt something where having a vast library doesn't necessarily mean that I've read all the all of the books. And I guess there's something about, about this live experience. And I was wondering if, you know, being at a conference might mean live broadcasting of conversations and listening into those things and having some extended discussion. And I guess we just need a little bit of time to think about what we've learned. You've obviously done quite a bit of thinking about how NavNeuro might fit in with that, the broader changes in the, in the landscape. I mean, do you have thoughts about what the future is for the two of you and NavNeuro? Is it bigger than NavNeuro? Is it, is it, is it, <clears throat> you, you were you were somewhat prepared for this for this first question. And I, I framed it in a slightly broader way than perhaps um, perhaps was originally intended. No but. problem. Yeah, yeah. I think we are happy with our system right now. We've hit a stride. Yeah, it's been over four years now, going on five years, and uh, everything's working for us. So the plan is to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, there's no extra like big project that we're taking on related to NavNeuro. I think now it's just kind of tweaking in certain ways. Um, you know, like for example, we recently had uh, added transcripts for each episode, right? And had mentioned that earlier. We have to thank Kathy Longa for that. Um, but uh, that was one addition that we thought was useful, brought the podcast to more people maybe uh, than otherwise would have listened to it. So um, we might continue to make little tweaks like that. 
Um, yeah, I've been asked that question, like, what's next yeah. for Nav Neuro? You know, what's coming around the corner? And it's a valid question. My um, straight answer to that is what's next is hopefully we continue to produce high quality evidence-based education that's available <laughs> for free, N- new topics, great guests, yeah. um, interesting, entertaining. To me, if we do that, I'm happy. I mean, the library is constantly growing, so yeah. we are always expanding in that respect. Um and so we're not we're not a startup company. We're not seeking to grow in terms of like the number of people who are working at Nav Neuro. Um, I, that model works, you know, in the private sector and in other spaces sometimes. But for the purpose of what we're doing, I, I'm happy with where things are at. Like John said, there um, there are ideas we have for like new types of episodes. We recently started releasing a new type of episode where. Yeah. Um, so in the, in the U S we often think about board certification in clinical neuropsychology, and there are a few boards and ways to do that. One of the hurdles you jump, you get through in order to get boarded is to go through an oral exam, um, a fact find in neuropsychology. So we've been releasing mock fact finds between the two of us to help people who are preparing for board certification listen and get a sense as to what it sounds like and prepare and study. And so we're always open to listeners sending us ideas for new types of episodes, um, different ways we can share education. Um, that's, that's hopefully the future of the podcast. Yeah. We're also expanding globally too. We're getting more global guests outside of the U S um, for different perspectives, but yeah, we, we don't have any shareholders to answer to that, you know, next quarter, they're not going to be looking <laughs> for growth in the yeah. way, you know, our downloads are growing, but we don't need to do anything that's going to be so innovative. That's the global perspective is yeah. important. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. So Ingram, you had mentioned, I mean, I think we, we have in common across our two podcasts that when we started out, we mostly interviewed people we knew. Yeah. And I think that's natural. We had never done a podcast before, sure. and so it makes sense to go with people you're comfortable, who you know. So we started out, if you look at our early episodes, there are a lot of guests from Brown, where John and I were, from UC San Diego, where I went to fellowship, and from other sites where we trained. And they were great people, um, great guests and topics. Over time, we started thinking it's great for us to expand and get different perspectives. So we expanded within the U.S. And now, I think in the past really year or so, we've really started to expand globally. Um, multiple Australian guests, guests from the U.K., guests from Sub-Saharan Africa, Johnny Conga. And we are interested in continuing to get guests from all over the world. We ought to be getting back to the conference. <laughs> get ourselves in those four walls and start looking at some PowerPoint slides. It's been a real pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you very much for your time sure yeah thank you ingram could i you, you know you are sitting here with two podcast hosts who are used to asking questions of people you haven't forewarned me about any questions <laughs> that's true yeah we did not send you, you an are welcome to ask me any questions <laughs> <laughs> no pressure um but i'm interested in hearing a little bit about the more about the genesis of neuroclinic what the experience has been like for you challenges in the future so I, I think I don't, I mean, I think one of the things in it, it, it's, it, it's, it has been great having a conversation with you today and, and thinking about the contrast between our podcast approaches. I, I think that the Neuroclinic was very much born out of the pandemic and, and various r- responses that I suppose I was engaged in professionally around the challenges, but also the opportunities that, that, that sort of followed uh, that sort of major sort of contextual um position and I, I think that the neuroclinic what's been difficult is i think 
finding a sustainable place to to take it forward you know so finding guests editing the 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 audio you know making the whole thing work um is um if you're doing it on your own um somewhat more challenging as i'm sure you appreciate than having someone to talk to about that endeavor so um what i'm looking to do is to think about the broader professional affiliation going forward something which is sustainable links with our british psychological society and and having something which which works well alongside print media and other um, publications that we might get out. Having a co-host that I can work with, um, uh, someone who's prepared to work with me, I suppose, is, is, <laughs> is, is a tricky thing. I mean, neither of you seem to have been pushed towards going solo or uh, you're not going to break up the band. In, in any <laughs> well, wait a minute, maybe you're starting something here. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pushing for any Well, if the band is broken up, the lead singer <laughs> would obviously be the one to take the show. True, true. <laughs> Thank you very much. Unless you're going to spring any other questions on me, Ryan. John, do We've you got have a little, I'm sure we can find a... Find we can go for another two hours. Could provoke some awkwardness. <laughs> yeah, shall, yeah. I, shall, I, shall I bring this to a close? And thank you once again for your time. Yeah, of course. And thank, thank you, Ingram. Been yeah, a pleasure. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Take care. Thank you.